1: You know, as church leaders, pastors and leaders, uh, money, life, and leadership can be a challenge, right? Oh, I said the M word. Did I say the M word? I said the M word. Look out. We love this guy, Chris Brown and True Stewardship, his show. I get to hear his show every every morning. It's on in the afternoon on 970 at 5. But I hear the rerun on the the next day in the morning while I'm preparing for work. And I just think, this is so easy. Why isn't everybody doing this? But you know what? The truths are profound. They are simple. But I've got to apply them to my life, right, for them to work, right? And so that's why we brought him here. He's helping us in life, money, and leadership.
0: 2015, Dave Ramsey made uh, Chris Brown a part of uh, his Uh, team and started Chris Brown's True Stewardship, again, like Rick said, that you can hear on 970 every day, to bring the message of stewardship and intentional living in the church, and it's a powerful message, and we're so excited to have him here today. Please welcome Chris
2: Brown.
1: Thanks.
2: Thanks, guys. Atlanta, how you doing? Very good. Very cool stuff. Hey, I was just here about four or five days ago. Uh, I was here on Friday, we were at um, a Catalyst Conference at the Infinite Center or something like that, Infinite Energy Center, and then on Saturday, we're at North Point, we our Smart Conference here, all of our Ramsey Solutions, uh, uh, I guess personalities is what you call us, we're all speaking, and I had a lot of fun there at uh, North Point, Just, uh, just so I know who is in the room, who's familiar with Ramsey Solutions and Dave Ramsey, raise your hand, okay, okay, so that tells me where I need to start out. It looks like most of you are. I feel like I just need to get rid of the elephant in the room real fast. I know I'm not that Chris Brown. I'm really sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. You guys have no idea what it's like living your life as let down Chris Brown. got into the hotel last night and this girl behind the desk was all giddy and excited she had all these registrations all out had one pulled to the side with a little star on it <laughs> i come in I, I how can i help you sir i said well i would like to check in so oh, great what's your name I said Chris Brown. She goes, oh. That's the world I live in. So just feel that I feel the sympathy from you. So I know I'm not him. There'll be no rapping, no singing, no dancing. I can promise you I'm nicer to Rihanna. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. This is going down the wrong path. Anyway, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. (laughs) Uh, But I'm hoping that today, even though there won't be any dancing, and that's really for your benefit, uh, (laughs) that uh, today I make a ministry deposit into your life. Uh, That's my my hope and my prayer. As we get started, I want you to know a little bit about the lens that I see ministry through. I think that's important that you know where I'm coming from. Um, So let me tell you a little bit about Let Down Chris Brown. Uh, I started ministry about a decade ago. Uh, I was minding my own business in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I was ushering, and I thought I was just being a faithful volunteer, and uh, the lead pastor of a small church plant called Elevation Church, uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick, tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, I think I I see a call of God in your life. Let's explore that a little bit. He took me under his wing and kind of discipled me for about six months or so, and he uh, next thing you know, I was a campus pastor. That was my first, uh, my call into ministry, and uh, served there for a season. Then I moved to Miami, and I felt really called to serve a, a little bit more of a diversified people. So I went to Miami, which is exactly where you're going to get some very uh, diversified people. And we went down, there was a campus pastor down there uh, at one location at this church called Potential Church with Pastor Troy Grambling. And um, after a couple of years, they moved me to the broadcast location. And after that, I was the multi-site director over some domestic and international campuses. Uh, Then I moved into a CFO role, then an executive pastor role. And then in May of 2013, I resigned from there and started helping several churches around the country. And it was at that time Dave, Dave Ramsey found out that I was a free agent, I guess. And said, whoa, 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 you're not with a church right now, one church? Let's have a conversation, Here's what I'm wanting to do. I'm wanting to raise the banner of stewardship all over the country to the church specifically, and I need somebody to do that. You have a passion for the local church. It's the Bride of Christ. It's God's plan A. It's the hope of the world, and you've got a passion for stewardship. You love people. You're a perfect a real person for this role. It's a perfect hybrid of your passions. Let's talk about six months later through a brutal hiring process uh, I had signed on to raise the banner of stewardship at Ramsey Solutions. That's what I'm doing now. I live in Nashville. I do have a wife of 16 years. I want to show you my family right here. i got a picture of them. Uh, we were all at the beach a couple years ago. My wife hates it when I show this picture because we are all nasty from the beach. She's like, really? That one? So I apologize uh, on her behalf, but we've been married for 16 years. Those are my three kids, Max, Jack, and Annie. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, If you knew them, you wouldn't have clapped. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, Max is 12 now, and Jack is 10, and Annie's 8. I didn't know that I prophetically named my boys Max and Jack, because my life since they've been born has been maxed out and jacked up. That is for sure. (laughs) Oh, my. You have no idea. Uh, My little girl, Annie, she's pretty much perfect. Uh, I I don't have any favorites, I promise. I just happen to have an extra picture of my daughter. And... uh, (laughs) That's my little girl, right? Uh, yeah, I'm like, dang, you should see her mom. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that girl right there, I tell you, whenever she goes to date one day, I'm telling you, like age 46 or so. Like, no loser's going to step into my house. It'll be like target practice going on, you know. But that's a little bit about my family. And uh, we had a latest addition to our family last Christmas. I went 38 years of my life with no pets so my kids have never had a pet and so last christmas we got a little puppy that a year later now is 60 something pounds and he's not a puppy anymore but i'm telling you lots of people were telling me man kids are going to be much easier than you think they're going to be awesome they're going to be such a blessing and they're hard that's not true and then puppies are like oh my goodness they're so hard but man this guy is my best friend if you ever want encouragement, just leave your house and then re-enter. Leave your house and re-enter. Leave your house. I do it all day long. I'm like, this guy's awesome. He loves me for who I am. So anyway, I've got my one-year anniversary coming up with a dog, and I love it. And that, that is the, uh, where most of my time is spent. Anyway, so I wanted you to know the lens I'm coming through. I've got a family in Nashville. I love ministry, and that's where I'm coming from. I was thinking about, okay, we got 400-something ministry folks, leaders in a room on a Thursday morning. How can we best use our time? Because time is really important. How can we best use our time? And my thought was, why don't we talk about the number one thing holding the church back? The number one thing that's hurting the bride of Christ, the number one problem in the church. Now, of course, we're leaders, so we don't just point out problems, we bring solutions. So I'm going to kind of take you through an emotional roller coaster today. We're going to talk about the biggest problem in the church. You're going to want to slice your wrist. You're going to be like, why did this guy come? Thanks for giving us hope there, Chris. Thanks a lot. But then I want to let you know what God is doing all over this country, the solution. I don't know what you're facing in your ministry, but I'm telling you, there's a solution. So that's what I want to talk about. How many of you can remember your 11-year-old birthday? Uh, it's, it's, It's so fun to watch you guys struggle. You're like 11 years old. That was like a century ago. Some of you are like clearing out the cobwebs. You can't even, you're like, where was I, right? I can remember my 11-year-old birthday like it was yesterday. That particular day, more than any other day in my childhood, sticks out more than any other day. Why? Because I can remember sitting down in a dark, empty, roach-infested apartment. I can remember sitting on the floor, nothing in the apartment, no food, no furniture. There was one stack of clothes with three outfits across the living room staring at me. And I had some upside down cardboard boxes that we used as end tables and a couple of those red plastic solo cups. The apartment was apartment 217 in Ocean Villas Apartments, Huntington Beach, California. 11-year-old birthday. As I sat there and kind of looked through the window of the second floor balcony, you better believe I was wishing that everything looked differently. It's my birthday. I was hoping for bounce houses, friends over, some laughter at least in the household instead of this absolute awkward silence. I was hoping for some ice cream cake. Mm Mm-hmm. But instead, this little 11-year-old boy was replaying the last several years of his life. This 11-year-old boy knew that several father figures going to jail was not part of the family dream. This 11-year-old boy knew that night after night spent living in abuse shelters, sleeping in the backseat of a 1979 Dodge diplomat, that wasn't part of the dream either. Weeks at a time, sleeping underneath a bridge right there at Edwards and Warner. Uh, Last year, I was speaking at an event called Catalyst, which they have here in Atlanta also, but I was out there in Southern California. 27 years later, I went back to that bridge and took a look, and I took a picture. Here's the actual bridge that I slept under for weeks at a time using my backpack as a pillow. The only thing that's different, it looks exactly the way it looked when I was there. The only difference is that the water level is a little bit higher when I was there. Corner of Edwards and Warner, we'd wake up to the sound of cars going over the bridge. Traffic would pick up, and it would go do-do-do-do-do-do, and that would be my alarm clock. I would know to wake up and walk to school. I knew that all this violence in the home was not part of the dream, so I sat there, I'm thinking through all the years of disappointment, all the years of pain, and I, I turned my attention towards the kitchen. Kitchen's empty. I still remember those chipped brown Formica countertops. Nothing on top of them. No can openers, no coffee makers. Cupboards were open, I remember that. But there was no paper products, there was no canned goods, there was no dishes. The only thing in the kitchen was my Mom she was my hero, single mom trying to make ends meet, working several jobs. She had a pad of paper in her hand and she had a pencil. But I remember she wasn't writing anything because I don't think she had anything to write. She didn't have a plan. She didn't have any kind of dreams, any hopes. She had nothing. The only other thing that was on the countertops was a bag of cocaine that my dad had just dropped off as child support. So there's the image. That's exactly what I remember my 11-year-old birthday, and that's where what I'm going to talk about today was born. That's where the passion was born, because I had two major realizations that day. The first one was, is this is jacked up. This is not normal. I'm 11 years old, but I know this is not normal. The other realization was, I'm never doing this to my family. I'm never doing this to my family. It stops here. I went through middle school. I went through high school. I have absolutely no idea how I did, just the grace of God. As I went through middle school and high school, you know what I did? I drowned myself in sports. It was a great distraction. I wanted to be away from home so bad, if there even was a home. So I would be the first one at practice, last one to leave, and I would work harder than anyone else because I wanted to make make sure that a a father figure would believe in me and love me. So I would work harder than anyone else trying to get the coach's attention. Well, if you do that for long enough, a horrible athlete turns into something good. I worked harder than everyone else. I was the first one there, last one to leave. And I'm telling you, all the repetitions... All the muscle memory turned out pretty good. And I'm like, well, shoot, I'm pretty good. And so I got a scholarship to go to college. I didn't know anything about what being a Christian was. What in the world is that? But a Christian college wanted to pay me to play baseball. And I'm like, I'll be a Christian for that. (laughs) Hello. Right? You're going to pay me 50 grand to be a Christian. I'll be a Christian. Right? Duh. Good economic sense. I'm a finance guy. A month into college, I accepted Jesus, changed my life forever. i didn 't know what I was doing. He did. yeah, all the songs we just sang about they 're true i 've experienced it in my own life. I know you have too. God is good. So I accepted Jesus in my first year of college. And then what happens after you accept Jesus? The Bible says that we accept the Holy Spirit. I expect the Holy Spirit in my life. My wife, Holly, becomes my bride. That's my cheesy Christian joke for you today. So I got the Holy Spirit. We get married. We graduate. We start our adult life off. Of course, we know everything. Why? Because we're 22. We start off life, and I'm telling you, we got two great jobs We're living on way less than we earn. I know it's funny. It's weird. But we live way less than we earn, and we're living on 40% of our income. And we're stacking money away, and we're like, dang, we're good. This adult stuff, why is this even hard? What do y'all, what's wrong with y'all, right? Now, why in the world did we even know how to do that? Because when that little boy was sitting in that apartment, I had one possession. When you're moving around from abuse shelter to abuse shelter in a 1979 Dodge Diplomat, you can't have a whole lot of things. I had one toy. I had not a Sony Discman. I'm going more vintage than that. I had a Sony Walkman. All snap, right? Raise your hand. Remember it? Oh, stay with me here. The yellow sport edition. What's up? Yes? In my mind, I was Zach Morris, baby. I was like, Bayside High, uh, Kelly Kapowski ain't got nothing. Anyway, Google it, Google it, you owe it to yourself. Saved by the Bell reruns will change your life. I have no idea where all that came from. Anyway, I had a Sony Walkman, and I didn't, I couldn't buy tapes. So, what's left if you don't have tapes? Radio? Alan, radio? What? This little boy was listening to the radio. And for me, I wasn't really a music guy. I was starving for life instruction. Mom was working four jobs. I had no dad. What is life about? So the radio. My dads raised me on the radio. You want to know about my dads? My dads, here they are. James Dobson. Charles Stanley, Larry Burkett, Dave Ramsey. The radio raised me, and here we are decades later, and I get to return the favor for an 11-year-old boy that's out there. So you get wisdom, and we get frustrated because it doesn't make us perfect. We still have flesh. I'm kicking tail. I'm telling you, I'm saving a bunch of money. And then I, by myself, not my Proverbs 31 wife, but me by myself, I said, hey, why don't I um, use this cash, and I'll buy a house, and then I'll sell it, and I'll make a profit. It's called flipping back now we had no idea what it was called then, but I'm like, why don't I do that? I did. Guess what? $30,000. That's right. I bought a house. Three months later, I sold it, and I made 30 Gs. And I'm like, y'all, I am like you all do not know what you're doing. I'm brilliant. And so I'm like, why don't I do that again? So I did it again. And I did it again. I'm telling you, my strut was on. I mean, I'm bowing up. I'm thinking I'm the man. Pride is building up. Pride is building up. What does the Bible say about pride? It comes before the fall, right? Well, I said, why would I want to flip one house at a time when I can flip eight at a time? Right? Duh, basic math. Why would you make 30 grand when you make 240? So I walked down to a mortgage office, and I borrowed a million dollars. The year? 2007. Yeah thanks a lot. <laughs> Here I am thinking you're with me. You're laughing at me. still a little too soon. I paid almost 10 grand a month on eight vacant homes for the next 36 months because that recession hit. I couldn't buy. I couldn't, I couldn't sell it. I, I couldn't sell these homes and I couldn't rent them out. Until January of 2011, I walked into a filled courtroom. I looked a trustee in the eye, and I said, here's my situation. She goes, honey, you have absolutely no solution. You've got to file bankruptcy. January 2011, I filed bankruptcy. My biggest memory of that day was not that filled courtroom and the embarrassment I felt. My biggest memory of that day was before I even got to the courtroom, When I looked in my bathroom mirror, you know what I saw? That same look of hopelessness I saw on my mom's face. Here I was decades later. I said, I would never do this to my family. And I did it to my family. It looks different, but I did it to my family. Why do I tell you all that? Chris, that's a long, stinking intro, Right? I tell you that for a lot of reasons, because one, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick, and I know there's people in this room right now, just because you're a pastor and you're a leader doesn't mean you have, don't have financial stress. I want to let you know that my wife and I have clawed back, gone back to God's way of handling money, we've been doing things right ever since, and we find ourselves in a good financial position again. I just want you to know, wherever you're at in your financial situation, there is hope. The other reason why I want to bring that up is because my number one frustration through all that journey was the fact that I wanted to do so much for the kingdom and I couldn't. I wanted to go to Israel and explore my faith. I wanted to do, a, uh, I wanted to do so much more. I wanted to be more involved in the giving campaigns. I wanted to give way above and beyond my tithe, and I couldn't. I had an intention for ministry, but I wasn't positioned for ministry. Being intentioned for ministry is nothing without being positioned for ministry. My other frustration was I wasn't the only one. As I pastored during this season, I realized that I was very ineffective as a pastor because I was so blinded by my own issues. I couldn't even see the pain in the congregation because I was so focused on me. But when I did see them, I saw great people sitting in the seats wanting to do so much for Christ. They were cheering on the vision. They were jacked up, excited during worship. They were, I mean, they were like, yes, yes, Pastor, I'm in, I'm going, yes, let's do it. I'll go to the baptism event. Oh, yeah, I'm serving, I'm attending, I'm doing all this, I'm all in. And then they didn't. I know you don't have this problem in your church. And then on Monday morning, you're like, oh, I just don't have the buy in. Maybe I'm just not a good enough leader, right? The problem is these great people get out of the seats after they get all excited. They walk out those exterior doors. And picture this with me. They're remaining in handcuffs. They're in no position for ministry. They have no margin in their lives. And where there is no margin, there is no ministry. So, America is broke the number one thing holding back the church today is that America is broke. So I want to tell you a little bit about the finances in America and the giving in America and kind of take you down into that hole where you really want to slice your wrist. You're like, oh, Chris, thank you so much for that. Right? The bottom line is 70% of America is living paycheck to paycheck. 70, not 17 that's regardless of salary. That doesn't mean not without a job. That means people who actually have a paycheck are living paycheck. What does that mean, Chris? That means if a paycheck doesn't show up, there's an issue. That means when the bucket comes by and there's 150 bucks to go for the light bill or 150 bucks to go to Tithe, the light bill's getting it. But it's not a light bill issue. It's the $400 car payment that's the issue. 70. 88% is living broke or worse because there's another 18% that are facing bankruptcy. Or they're in the middle of it. America's spending $1.26 for every $1 that they earn. One third of American adults are currently in the debt collection process as I talk right now. The average student has graduated from college with $37,000 in student loans. That's how they're starting their adult life. The number one cause of divorce in America is money fights and money problems. Chris, you're so encouraging. So how does that affect giving? I'm sure y'all's giving is through the roof. 5% of Americans, I mean, if only 5% of Americans are giving to any charity, Of not even not just Christian churches, but 5% are giving 10% of their money. Surely evangelicals are better, right? You'd be right. 12% are tithing. 12% of born-again believers are tithing. You may have heard a 3% stat that you've probably used before. That stat comes from if you were to take all evangelicals and put them all in one bucket, we're giving 3% of our income. It's not 3% tithe, it's we give 3% of our income. Yuck. Let's break this down. How does that happen? Because the average tithe check in America is about 400 bucks a month. 48,600 is the average salary, you break that into 12 months, it's about $400 a month. But did you know that the average car payment in America is 499? And the average student loan is 404. There's your tithe. It's not that they're mad about the way the church handles the budget. It's not that they're a rebellious spirit, a lack of desire. No, no, no. They want to. They can't. Every single dollar that comes into their hands has an obligation to the past, so it has no opportunity for the future. Every dollar that comes into their hand has an obligation to the past so it doesn't have an opportunity to the future. It's a horrible way to live. You're driving down the road looking through your rearview mirror. That makes no sense. But there's a solution. I told you I was going to take you down into that hole. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this whole life is over. Right? There's a solution. What if everyone in America, what if everyone in your church would fully understand Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Chris, please explain. Okay, I will. The earth is the Lord's, another version says, and all it contains. When you look at the original language for the word all, guess what you find? It means all. Everything. Not just money, but those relationships, those kids, that forerunner, the motorcycle, that spouse, well, Chris, that still doesn't help me. Okay, he's the owner. I get it. Okay, yada, yada. Well, if he's the owner, what does that mean we are? We're not the owner. So you got to look at a food chain. You've got you an owner and you've got oh, managers. We're managers for the creator. First Corinthians 4 2 says those who have been entrusted to be managers must prove faithful. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, is that we would just get that as leaders here only. And it would never take the 18-inch journey down to our heart where it changes our actions. We've got to get it here that God is the owner. I get to manage the Creator's stuff. What? Right? That's amazing that He trusts us enough. Max and Jack, those are living beings made in the image of Christ. And God trusts me enough to manage them? Shut up! How cool is that? But the problem is, as leaders, we just have it here. And what is our congregation going to get from us? If we're here, they're going to be here. Oh, God's the owner. Okay, cool. I'm a manager. What? Right? So I told you earlier about this God's way of handling money and the world's way of handling money. The world's way of handling money is over here, and it says, YOLO. You work so hard for your money. Just do it. Go for it. You can afford the payment. Right? That's over here. Wrapped up in entitlement. That's not just the millennials. They just don't know how to cover it up. All snap. Right? Over here, you've got God's way of handling money, and it is wrapped up in gratitude and contentment. Contentment not meaning a lack of ambition or apathy, but a peace. Contentment is not standing still. It's a condition of the heart while you're moving forward. That's a big difference. When you do life that way, then you can be a faithful manager, not just once, but you can live a lifestyle of faithful managing because you can't just change the action. You know this with your kids. You can't just say, stop that. When you ain't around, they're leaving that door wide open. They ain't brushing their teeth when they do a sleepover. Right? Right? You've got to change a belief system that leads to a different set of actions, which leads to a different set of results. So here's what we see God doing. Here's the solution. We're changing a belief system. We're raising the banner of stewardship in people's lives. We're realizing, oh my goodness, that God's the owner, I'm the manager. And so there's this call to stewardship that says managing God's blessings, God's way for God's glory. And so when you think about your life and you think about finances in general, the number one thing holding the church back, you think, okay, how do you handle your finances? Well, first of all, you got to have a stinking plan. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And that's, many people don't have a vision for their quarter, for their month. They get the 25th of the month and, oh, shoot, I don't have any more money. What do you do? Swipe, swipe, swipe. Zig Ziglar says it best, if you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen: where there is no vision, the people perish. Luke 14, 28, God, Jesus said, hey, who would ever build a tower not sit down first and count the cost? Just yeah. dumb, right? That's the Chris Brown version. Let down Chris Brown version. Oh, what do you think about um, saving? Saving, are we supposed to do that? Yes, but it's not about saving. It's deeper than that. It. It's about being a faithful manager. The Bible says in Proverbs twenty one twenty, 20, And the house of the wise is choice, food, and oil, but fools gulp it all down. But what about debt? Oh, oh, snap, did he just go there? It's not a salvation issue, it's a wisdom issue. Proverbs 22, 7 says the borrower is enslaved to the lender, and our church is enslaved. Romans 13, 8 says, owe no man anything except for the debt to love one another. So how do we get out of debt? Proverbs 6, 5, it's right there. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. You can't pet your debt. You can fall into debt, but you can't fall out. You got to attack that junk. Get it out of here. And what about investing? What, what, what are we supposed to do that? It's right there in the Bible, Proverbs thirteen twenty two, that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. You come to giving, and they hear this passage about cheerful giver. What? Like I can't be a cheerful giver. There's no way. Do you know my condition financially? I can't. Be, that's why they can't be a cheerful giver. Because they're like that doesn't even make sense. Because I can't pay for all my obligations. Here's the big danger in all this. It's that you think it's just a stat, 70%, 88%, blah, 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 whatever, no big deal. So let's do this. Why don't we do this? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You nine, all the nine tables in this corner, okay? You guys get it? Three, 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 nine. You guys stay seated, okay? The rest of the room stand up. If you're standing, you're broke. Hey, hey, don't be judging them. It's just an illustration. They're like, that's right. Dang, get your act together, right? 88% when you're casting vision like yeah we're doing it we're taking that next hill we're launching that campus we're gonna do this mission effort we're going we're doing it I want you to visualize this right here is what you're looking at 88% can't do what you're saying that's why it's the number one problem in the church today and I'm telling you what God is doing through Ramsey Solutions we are solving this problem are solving 18 to 24 months as the average person who goes through our curriculum in 18 to 24 months they're out of debt they're carrying around 6 to 16 years of debt but boom that Proverbs 6 5 freeing yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter it becomes real to them and they're like oh it's not just about getting out of debt but it's like I want to be a faithful manager it changes everything you guys can go ahead and have a seat so I want to let you know what God's doing and you need to do this in your church you have to I wish we could hit a discipleship switch and it's like, boom, discipled, sweet, done deal, right? But it takes some time. But what we're seeing God do, we're seeing people free up their finances and boom, they start giving more. I don't know if that's important to you or not. If you want like families put back together and worldviews changed and addictions overcome and, and marriages restored and lives changed. I don't know if that means anything to you. And you want giving to go up, not because you can get paid more, but because you want to change the world because you know God changes the world through the local church. I don't know if that means more to you, but I'm telling you, you've got to be doing some kind of financial discipleship in your church. And if it's not Ramsey Solutions, do something. But I know God is using Ramsey Solutions Financial Peace University like nobody's business. The average person that goes to the class in just nine weeks has an $8,000 swing in their finances in just 90 days. $8,000, they pay off $5,300, they save $2,700. 4.5 million people have been through the class over the last 20 years, and they've paid off a total of $19 billion. What happens when somebody goes to the class? They immediately start giving 1% more. Their worldview's not even changed yet. Their mess isn't even cleaned up yet. Immediately start 1% more because they realize they've been entrusted to be a manager. Their marriage, it's a marriage conference in disguise, man. A husband and wife aren't even talking to each other when they come in. By the third week, we've got to tell them to keep their hands off each other. It gets awkward. Hey, split them up. That's nasty. Nasty. Get a room. After 12 months, we're seeing that people are given 2.9% more. So if they were given three, they're given six. If they're given six, they're given nine. It's pretty awesome. That's not a big deal for your church if only two people go through. But man, when you put the whole church through together at the same time, we're going to get unbroke as a church. We're going to be positioned as a church. Now, some of you are lead pastors. You're like, you are overwhelming me. I don't, how do I start another ministry? Oh, right? The lead pastor doesn't start this. You put somebody who's passionate about this over it and have them run, the, run this thing. Have a stewardship director and have them, paid or non paid, it doesn't matter, but have them own this Because this is the number one thing holding the church back. I know it. I go all over the country, and I see churches all the time. When you talk to pastors in conferences in the hallway, they're always like, oh, man, what's you working on? Man, our our giving's down, and we're struggling discipleship. Boom. This takes care of both. Just like that. So here's a little bit of a a sneak peek of what God is doing. I want you to see the result. I don't want to just point out problems. I want to point out solutions. And I want to give you a little bit of hope of what people in your congregation can experience Here's a little short video of what God has been doing. I hope you'll enjoy this. Well, uh, I used to be a bankrupt, and I served some time in prison. And, uh, yes, sir.
3: My dad thinks I'm here to scream. I'm debt free for my school loan debt. That was actually the first time I became debt free. I'm actually here to tell my dad that I have paid off my mortgage. Wow! Look at that! <laughs> it was a Saturday night, four days before Christmas, when the house burned. It's devastating. We felt like we lost everything when our house burned down.
0: Whoa, he must have sold something. What'd you sell? I uh, sold the house. Okay. Well, so I'm homeless right now, but I'm okay with it. Uh, I made it up to about his the rear tire of his car, his truck, and uh, he opened up his car door and got out. He already had the gun in his hand and was turning hey, towards me and started shooting.
3: My husband was diagnosed with a brain tumor in 2008, a year and a half into our marriage. Wow.
0: I grew up an atheist and and
3: just
0: (laughs) wasn't, I just wanted to support her. And then we went there and like I said, we found an unbelievable pastor. Totally changed my views on on everything.
2: The last thing I paid off was the restitution. That was actually just Friday down in the courthouse in uh, downtown Dallas at the federal building down there. I I don't want to exaggerate, but to say that it's the same as the day that I got out of prison is how I felt when I got in the button and I pushed one on the elevator to get out of that place and I was done. And that was it, man. My past was in the past and I didn't know anybody anymore. I and that was it. the end of it. I love it.
3: Being deaf-free has allowed me to relax. It's allowed me to unplug from my work and allowed me to travel the world. I built this little map for myself and, and every piece that co- I got colored in or that I colored in was uh, meant that I saved another $1,000 uh-huh. towards my bigger goal.
0: Yeah, there's not stopping you. You've got you've got plans for money. Money's going to be a tool in your hands your whole life.
3: There's nothing like being debt-free. Um, I think so many worries are gone, knowing that I wasn't going to have to come home and pay those experiences off. Staying dedicated and disciplined and giving up leisurely activities for a short term is a 1,000% worth the experience and the feelings that come with it. I went and got a shovel and was looking through some just different areas of the house, and and I found a, a little piece of my son Memphis' baby book, and the footprints were still there. I mean, we just sat and cried, and I was like, I'm so glad you found these. And it, it, things just began to get beautiful. People would just come and bless us. It was amazing. We got things that were beautiful because that's what the Lord wanted for us at that moment. But we had lived in disaster even before the fire. I can give money to some other family that has a fire. We always gave whenever the Lord led, but now we can give when the Lord leads or when we just feel like it.
0: What happened 18 months ago that made you decide you needed to get out of debt and could get out of debt? I found myself in a hotel room one night because I blew up my motorcycle there in Michigan and um, I was sitting in the hotel room begging the credit card company give me another thousand dollars line of credit so I could make it back home. The weight off your shoulders? hmm Huh? It's like freedom. A friend of ours who's a captain, um, he came to get me and I got picked up, got driven to the hospital. All she kept talking about was that she had an emergency fund. And all I have is, well, at least I got an emergency fund. He's like, put but he's laying on the ER table and all she's talking about is this emergency fund.
2: The finances were in place, and I think
0: it
3: was my way of not thinking about what was actually happening to him at the moment.
0: Now that we're getting back and getting back in the swing of things, our plan would be hitting that debt snowball as hard as we can.
3: So glad that when that diagnosis came and the medical bills started rolling in, we were able to use that emergency fund to not go into debt medically he passed away in april
0: you guys are fighting that fight with him meanwhile he's fighting a fight for you yeah. so that he leaves you dead free
3: mm-hmm. that that was his legacy that he wanted to leave he wanted and
0: he to did make sure he did what a wonderful legacy
2: i was on my way home from work that night right after fpu finished um I was listening to the CD, and I said the prayer that was in that CD and listened to Dave talk about that.
0: That's not why I was there. I was there to learn financial, uh, you know, how to do the debt snowball and how to do the different things relating to debt.
2: And it was in my car that night that, like, I first, you know, accepted the Lord into my heart.
0: I was not there for any sort of uh, spiritual growth or gain, but through those nine weeks of, of you know, being in the class, listening to what was being said, listening to Dave, everything really clicked and it made sense.
2: He has turned into the man that I have always dreamed of, that will lead our family. I feel so blessed every day that I get to have him as my husband.
0: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Count it down, let's hear a great debt-free scream. 321
2: i I'm debt free!
3: I'm debt free! Love it. We're dead free! <laughs> I'm dead free! <laughs> We're dead free! Wow!
2: What would happen if the people of God were in a position to serve the kingdom of God? What would happen if they were in a good position? Here's what we want to do today. We wanted to give you some value. I wanted to deposit something into your life, and uh, also want to give away some goodies. Now, some of you guys have already gotten these. I saw the line when I walked in, and so you guys were ahead of the curve, overachievers, if you will. Um. <laughs> But I want you to stop by the booth and start a conversation. And hey, let's raise your hand and say, "Hey, I'm serious about this stewardship stuff. We need to we need to do some changes in our in our church. And I might not be the person, but as a church, we're saying we're going to stand up. We're going to get people in a good financial position. Want to give you some uh, books? Uh, also, want to give you a water bottle. Uh, and uh, also, there'll probably be a little bit of a line there." So you actually can fill out the form for the free goodies with that link at the top and just do it on your phone. It's like two or three things to do on there. And when you get there, it can just be real fast because I don't want you guys to have to wait in line. So we kind of thought that through. Um, but the biggest things today is I wanted to let you know about the biggest problem in your church. It's not What you're probably thinking is the biggest problem is just the symptom. It's deeper than that. It's the fact that they don't understand that they're managers for the Creator. The second thing I wanted to do is I wanted to give you a very sincere thank you. I told you that I didn't have a stable dad growing up. And uh, for years, I've really struggled with rejection and not having a stable dad in my life. But Psalm 68 says, I am the father to the fatherless. You know how he does that? He does it through the soft whispers late at night. He does it through a lot of different things. But how he primarily does it? He does it through amazing people like you. He does it through the local church. He does it through church leaders. And since I've been on this huge, long journey, I've realized when I look back that it was the radio and it was pastors just like you. So I just want to say as a little 11-year-old Zach Morris boy, let down Chris Brown, just thank you for what you do God used you, pastors and leaders, to be father to the fatherless to me. You've got a Chris Brown sitting in your church, row three, all the way over to the left, and you're doing that for them. So what you do is it makes a huge difference. And so I wanted to add some value to your life today, but I mostly wanted to thank you for what you're doing and say, keep on, keep on. Thank you so much.